Hello, and welcome to The Open Storybook. I'm your narrator, Glenn, and now, it's story time. This episode, we'll be talking about frogs. From the Frog Prince to Kermit the Frog, they've been a part of popular culture for centuries. There are a few popular idioms about frogs as well, including the boiled frog. If you put a frog in boiling water, it will jump out. But if you put it in water and slowly heat it, it won't notice how hot it's getting and will eventually be boiled alive. For the record, this is a hotly disputed claim. And, of course, there's the saying, you can't tell by looking at a frog how high he will jump. But we'll get to that later. There's also the story of the frog and the scorpion. A scorpion asks a frog to carry it across the river, but the frog fears the scorpion will sting it. The scorpion claims they'll both die if it does that, so the frog allows it to climb onto its back and agrees to carry it across the river. Halfway across, the scorpion stings the frog, claiming, I can't help it, it's in my nature. That's it. That's the story. I'm not the biggest fan, since never trust anyone isn't the best of morals. But of course... You can trust me to include a Disney reference every month, and this episode, it's the obvious frog-centric The Princess and the Frog, their animated feature from 2009. This film was Disney's last traditionally animated major release, and certainly lies among my personal favorites. It's loosely based on the Grimm's tale The Frog Prince, which is one of two stories I'll be reading this episode. I say loosely because, other than the main plot device— A prince is turned into a frog and must be kissed to be turned back, the movie bears little resemblance to the original fairy tale. The original gives none of the backstory of the prince, the villain who turns him into a frog, or really much about him at all. The film adaptation gives us Dr. Facilier, the Shadow Man, a more fleshed-out story for our prince, and, despite the somewhat misleading title, a completely different protagonist who isn't even a princess when we meet her. It's an excellent adaptation, however, It shows how you can take a very basic story, go in and define the background, flesh out the existing characters and add in some new ones to create an entirely new thing that's all your own. And adaptations are nothing new for The Frog Prince. From the Brothers Grimm's publication, there's of course the English translation, but also The Wonderful Frog from Hungary, The Tale of the Queen Who Sought a Drink from a Certain Well from Scotland, The Maiden and the Frog from England, A Frog for a Husband from Korea, and many others. There are also countless stage adaptations, television appearances, references throughout literature and film, as well as other full movie adaptations that, yes, even include Kermit as the titular frog. Needless to say, the Frog Prince is well indoctrinated into the popular culture, and it would be difficult to find someone not already familiar with the tale. Less well-known, however, is the origin of the saying I mentioned previously, You can't tell by looking at a frog how high he will jump. My guess is it can be at least partially attributed to Mark Twain's tale, The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County. Though the story was at one point adapted into an opera and appeared as part of an obscure claymation film, that's about it. It may be a lesser-known Twain story, but it comes with a bit of a moral and was too fun of a read for me to pass up. Mark Twain wrote several versions of this story before he was finally satisfied with it and that first iteration appeared in the New York Saturday Press 
under a different title in 1865. The story proved popular, though, so Twain tinkered with it a bit more and republished it in The Californian later that same year. Finally, it was published in Twain's first book in 1867 with another small change. It's tough to say what Twain's intent was with the story, though it's clear that, as with most of his work, a good humorous story is the result. We'll get to that one shortly, but first, The Frog Prince. One fine evening, a young princess put on her bonnet and clogs and went out to take a walk by herself in a wood. And when she came to a cool spring of water that rose in the midst of it, she sat herself down to rest a while. Now, she had a golden ball in her hand, which was her favorite plaything, and she was always tossing it up into the air and catching it again as it fell. After a time, she threw it up so high that she missed catching it as it fell and the ball bounded away and rolled along upon the ground until at last it fell down into the spring. The princess looked into the spring after her ball, but it was very deep, so deep that she could not see the bottom of it. Then she began to bewail her loss and said, Alas, if I could only get my ball again, I would give all my fine clothes and jewels and everything that I have in the world. Whilst she was speaking, a frog put its head out of the water and said, Princess, why do you weep so bitterly? Alas, said she, what can you do for me, you nasty frog? My golden ball has fallen into the spring. The frog said, I want not your pearls and jewels and fine clothes, but if you will love me and let me live with you and eat from off your golden plate and sleep upon your bed, I will bring you your ball again. What nonsense, thought the princess. This silly frog is talking. He can never even get out of the spring to visit me, though he may be able to get my ball for me, and therefore I will tell him he shall have what he asks. So she said to the frog, Well, if you will bring me my ball, I will do all you ask. Then the frog put his head down and dived deep under the water. And after a little while, he came up again with the ball in his mouth and threw it on the edge of the spring. As soon as the young princess saw her ball, she ran to pick it up, and she was so overjoyed to have it in her hand again that she never thought of the frog, but ran home with it as fast as she could. The frog called after her, Stay, princess, and take me with you as you said but she did not stop to hear a word. The next day, just as the princess had sat down to dinner, she heard a strange noise, tap, tap, plash, plash, as if something was coming up the marble staircase. And soon afterwards, there was a gentle knock at the door, and a little voice cried out and said, Open the door, my princess dear, open the door to thy true love here. And mind the words that thou and I said by the fountain cool in the greenwood shade. Then the princess ran to the door and opened it, and there she saw the frog, whom she had quite forgotten. At this sight she was sadly frightened, and shutting the door as fast as she could, came back to her seat. The king, her father, seeing that something had frightened her, asked her what was the matter. There is a nasty frog, said she, at the door that lifted my ball for me out of the spring this morning, 
I told him that he should live with me here, thinking that he could never get out of the spring. But there he is at the door, and he wants to come in. While she was speaking, the frog knocked again at the door and said, Open the door, my princess dear. Open the door to thy true love here, and mind the words that thou and I said by the fountain cool in the greenwood shade. Then the king said to the young princess, As you have given your word, you must keep it. So go and let him in. She did so, and the frog hopped into the room and then straight on, tap, tap, plash, plash, from the bottom of the room to the top, till he came up close to the table where the princess sat. Pray, lift me upon the chair, said he to the princess, and let me sit next to you. As soon as she had done this, the frog said, Put your plate nearer to me that I may eat out of it. This she did, and when he had eaten as much as he could, he said, Now I am tired. Carry me upstairs and put me into your bed. And the princess, though very unwilling, took him up in her hand and put him upon the pillow of her own bed, where he slept all night long. As soon as it was light, he jumped up, hopped downstairs, and went out of the house. Now then, thought the princess, at last he is gone, and I shall be troubled with him no more. But she was mistaken, for when night came again, she heard the same tapping at the door, and the frog came once more and said, Open the door, my princess dear, open the door to thy true love here, and mind the words that thou and I said by the fountain cool in the greenwood shade. And when the princess opened the door, the frog came in and slept upon her pillow as before till the morning broke, and the third night he did the same. But when the princess awoke on the following morning, she was astonished to see, instead of the frog, a handsome prince, gazing on her with the most beautiful eyes she had ever seen, and standing at the head of her bed. He told her that he had been enchanted by a spiteful fairy who had changed him into a frog, and that he had been fated so to abide till some princess should take him out of the spring and let him eat from her plate and sleep upon her bed for three nights. You, said the prince, have broken his cruel charm. And now I have nothing to wish for but that you should go with me into my father's kingdom, where I will marry you and love you as long as you live. The young princess, you may be sure, was not long in saying yes to all this. And as they spoke, a gay coach drove up with eight beautiful horses, decked with plumes of feathers and a golden harness. And behind the coach rode the prince's servant, Faithful Heinrich, who had bewailed the misfortunes of his dear master during his enchantment so long and so bitterly that his heart had well nigh burst. They then took leave of the king and got into the coach with eight horses, and all set out, full of joy and merriment, for the prince's kingdom, which they reached safely. And there they lived happily a great many years. In compliance with the request of a friend of mine who wrote me from the East, I called on good-natured, garrulous old Simon Wheeler and inquired after my friend's friend Leonidas W. Smiley, as requested to do, 
and I hereunto append the result. I have a lurking suspicion that Leonidas W. Smiley is a myth, and that my friend never knew such a personage, and that he only conjectured that if I asked old Wheeler about him, it would remind him of his infamous Jim Smiley, and he would go to work and bore me to death with some exasperating reminiscence of him as long and as tedious as it should be useless to me. If that was the design, it succeeded. I found Simon Wheeler dozing comfortably by the barroom stove of the dilapidated tavern in the decayed mining camp of Angels, and I noticed that he was fat and bald-headed and had an expression of winning gentleness and simplicity upon his tranquil countenance. He roused up and gave me good day. I told him a friend had commissioned me to make some inquiries about a cherished companion of his boyhood named Leonidas W. Smiley, a reverend Leonidas W. Smiley, a young minister of the gospel, who he had heard was at one time a resident of Angel's Camp. I added that if Mr. Wheeler could tell me anything about this Reverend Leonidas W. Smiley, I would feel under many obligations to him. Simon Wheeler backed me into a corner and blockaded me there with his chair and then sat down and reeled off the monotonous narrative which follows this paragraph. He never smiled. He never frowned. He never changed his voice from the gentle flowing key to which he tuned his initial sentence. He never betrayed the slightest suspicion of enthusiasm. But all through the interminable narrative, there ran a vein of impressive earnestness and sincerity, which showed me plainly that, so far from his imagining that there was anything ridiculous or funny about his story, he regarded it as a really important matter, and admired his two heroes as men of transcendent genius in finesse. I let him go on in his own way, and never interrupted him once. Reverend Leonidas W. Hmm, Reverend Le... Well, there was a feller here once by the name of Jim Smiley in the winter of 49, or, or maybe it was the spring of 50. I don't recollect exactly somehow, though what makes me think it was one or the other is because I remember the big flume wasn't finished when he first came to the camp. But anyway, he was the curiousest man about always betting on anything that turned up you ever see if he could get anybody to bet on the other side. And if he couldn't, he'd change sides. Any way that suited the other man would suit him. Any way, just so's he got a bet, he was satisfied. But still, he was lucky, uncommon lucky. He most always come out winner. He was always ready and laying for a chance. There couldn't be no solitary thing mentioned but that feller had offered a bet on it, and take any side you please, as I was just telling you. If there was a horse race, you'd find him flush, or you'd find him busted at the end of it. If there was a dog fight, he'd bet on it. If there was a cat fight, he'd bet on it. If there was a chicken fight, he'd bet on it. Why, if there was two birds sitting on a fence, he would bet you which one would fly first. Or if there was a camp meeting, he would be there regular to bet on Parson Walker which he judged to be the best exhorter about here, and he was, too, and a good man. If he even see a straddlebug start to go anywheres, he would bet you how long it would take him to get to, to wherever he was going to, and if you took him up, he would follow that straddlebug to Mexico, but what he would find out where he was bound for and how long he was on the road. Lots of the boys here have seen that smiley and can tell you about him. Why, 
It never made no difference to him. He'd bet on anything. The dangest feller. Parson Walker's wife laid very sick once for a good while, and it seemed as if they weren't going to save her. But one morning, he come in and smiley up and asked him how she was, and he said she was considerable better, thank the Lord for his infinite mercy, and coming on so smart that with the blessing of Providence, she'd get well yet. And Smiley, before he thought, says, Well, I'll risk two and a half she don't anyway. This year, Smiley had a mare. The boys called her the 15-minute nag. But that was only in fun, you know, because, of course, she was faster than that. And he used to win money on that horse for all she was so slow and always had the asthma or the distemper or the consumption or something of that kind. They used to give her two or three hundred yards start and then pass her underway, but always at the fag end of the race she'd get excited and desperate-like and come cavorting and straddling up and scattering her legs around limber, sometimes in the air and sometimes out to one side amongst the fences and kicking up more dust and raising more racket with her coughing and sneezing and blowing her nose and always fetch up at the stand just about a neck ahead as near as you could cipher it down. And he had a little small bullpup that to look at him you'd think he weren't worth a cent but to sit around and look ornery and lay for a chance to steal something. But as soon as money was up on him, he was a different dog. His underjaw began to stick out like the forecastle of a steamboat, and his teeth would uncover and shine like the furnaces. And a dog might tackle him and bullyrag him and bite him and throw him over his shoulder two or three times, and Andrew Jackson, which was the name of the pup, Andrew Jackson would never let on but what he was satisfied and hadn't expected nothing else. And the bets being doubled and doubled on the other side all the time till the money was all up. And then all of a sudden he would grab that other dog just by the jint of his hind leg and freeze to it. Not chaw, you understand, but only just grip and hang on till they throwed up the sponge if it was a year. Smiley always come out winner on that pup till he harnessed a dog once that didn't have no hind legs. Because they'd been sawed off in a circular saw. And when the thing had gone along far enough and the money was all up, and he come to make a snatch for his pet holt, he see in a minute how he'd been imposed on and how the other dog had him in the door, so to speak, and he paired surprise, and then he looked sort of discouraged-like and didn't try no more to win the fight, and so he got shucked out bad. He gave Smiley a look, as much as to say his heart was broke and it was his fault for putting up a dog that hadn't no hind legs for him to take holt of, which was his main dependence in a fight, and then he limped off a piece and laid down and died. It was a good pup, was that Andrew Jackson, and would have made a name for himself if he'd lived, for the stuff was in him and he had genius. I know it, because he hadn't no opportunities to speak of, and it don't stand to reason that a dog could make such a fight as he could under them circumstances if he hadn't no talent. It always makes me feel sorry when I think of that last fight of his and in the way it turned out. Well, this year Smiley had rat terriers and chicken cocks and tomcats and all them kind of things till you couldn't rest. And you couldn't fetch nothing for him to bet on, but he'd match you. He catched a frog one day and took him home and said he calculated to educate him. And so he never done nothing for three months, but sat in his backyard and learned that frog to jump. And you bet he did learn him too. He'd give him a little punch behind and the next minute you'd see that frog whirling in the air like a donut. 
see him turn one somerset or, or maybe a couple if he got a good start and come down flat-footed and all right like a cat. He got him up so in the matter of catching flies and kept him in practice so constant that he'd nail a fly every time as fur as he could see him. Smiley said all a frog wanted was education and he could do most anything, and I believe him. Why, I've seen him set Daniel Webster down here on this floor. Daniel Webster was the name of the frog and sing out, Flies, Daniel, flies! And quicker than you could wink, he'd spring straight up and snake a fly off on the counter there and flop down on the floor again as solid as a gob of mud and fall to scratch in the side of his head with his hind foot as indifferent as if he hadn't no idea he'd been doing any more than any frog might do. You never see a frog so modest and straightforward as he was, for all he was so gifted. And when it come to fair and square jumping on a dead level, he could get over more ground at one straddle than any animal of his breed you ever see. Jumping on a dead level was his strong suit, you understand. And when it come to that, Smiley would ante up money on him as long as he had a red. Smiley was monstrous proud of his frog, and well he might be, for fellers that had traveled and been everywheres all said he laid over any frog that ever they see. Well, Smiley kept the beast in a little lattice box, and he used to fetch him downtown sometimes and lay for a bet. One day, a feller, a stranger in the camp he was, come across him with this box and says, What might be that you've got in the box? And Smiley says, sort of indifferent like, It might be a parrot, or it might be a canary maybe, but it ain't. It's only just a frog. And the feller took it, and looked at it careful, and turned it round this way and that, and says, Hmm, so tis. Well, what's he good for? Well, Smiley says, easy, careless. He's good enough for one thing, I should judge. He can outjump any frog in Calaveras County. The feller took the box again and took another long, particular look and give it back to Smiley and says, very deliberate, Well, he says, I don't see no pints about that frog that's any better than any other frog. Maybe you don't, Smiley says. Maybe you understand frogs and maybe you don't understand them. Maybe you've had experience and maybe you ain't only an amateur as it were. Anyways, I've got my opinion and I'll risk $40 that he can outjump any frog in Calaveras County. And the failure studied a minute and then says kind of sad like, Well, I'm only a stranger here and I ain't got no frog, but if I had a frog, I'd bet you. And then Smiley says, That's all right. That's all right. If you'll hold my box a minute, I'll go and get you a frog. And so the feller took the box and put up his $40 along with Smiley's and sat down to wait. So he sat there a good while, thinking and thinking to himself, and then he got the frog out and prized his mouth open and took a teaspoon and filled him full of quail shot, filled him pretty near up to his chin and set him on the floor. Smiley, he went to the swamp and slopped around in the mud for a long time, and finally he catched a frog and fetched him in and give him to this feller and says, Now, if you're ready, set him alongside of Daniel with his four paws just even with Daniel's, and I'll give the word. Then he says, One, two, three, get! And him and the feller touched up the frogs from behind, and the new frog hopped off lively, but Daniel give a heave and Hasted his shoulders so like a Frenchman, but it weren't no use. He couldn't budge. He was planted as solid as a church, and he couldn't no more stir than if he was anchored out. Smiley was a good deal surprised, and he was disgusted too, but he didn't have no idea what the matter was, of course. 
The feller took the money and started away, and when he was going out at the door, he sort of jerked his thumb over his shoulder, so, at Daniel, and says again, very deliberate, Well, he says, I don't see no pints about that frog that's any better than any other frog. Smiley, he stood scratching his head and looking down at Daniel a long time, and at last says, I do wonder what in the nation that frog throwed off for. I wonder if there ain't something the matter with him. He appears to look mighty baggy somehow. And he catched Daniel up by the nap of the neck and hefted him and says, Why blame my cats if he don't weigh five pounds? And turned him upside down and he belched out a double handful of shot. And then he see how it was and he was the maddest man. He set the frog down and took out after that feller, but he never catched him. And... Here, Simon Wheeler heard his name called from the front yard and got up to see what was wanted. And turning to me as he moved away, he said, Just sit where you are, stranger, and rest easy. I ain't going to be gone a second. But by your leave, I did not think that a continuation of the history of the enterprising vagabond Jim Smiley would be likely to afford me much information concerning the Reverend Leonidas W. Smiley. And so I started away. At the door... I met the sociable Wheeler returning, and he buttonholed me, and recommenced. Well, this year Smiley had a yaller, one-eyed cow that, that didn't have no tail, only just a short stump, like a banana, and... However, lacking both time and inclination, I did not wait to hear about the afflicted cow, but took my leave. You've been listening to The Open Storybook. Narration, recording, and editing was by Glenn Reed. The Open Storybook theme was written and recorded by James P. Balseric. The Open Storybook is a backstage production. Today, we read The Frog Prince from Grimm's Fairy Tales by Jacob Grimm and Wilhelm Grimm, as well as The Celebrated Jumping Frog of Calaveras County, a short story by Mark Twain, taken from The Best American Humorous Short Stories, edited by Alexander Jessup. You can visit us online at storybook.backstage.link or contact us via email at storybook.backstage.link. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already, and please tell a friend about us. Please join us next month for a special Halloween episode of the open storybook.